Welcome to Commons and Chronicles, the podcast where we talk about all the best creative commons and reusable open game license content. If you need resources for your creative writing, game design, or you just love lore, Commons and Chronicles is for you. Hey everyone, you're listening to Commons and Chronicles. You may have heard on my on my end of the year episode that uh, this is the final episode, or that, that that was the final episode, that I was not going to be doing this show anymore. And that's still true, but in this episode I want to focus on some implementations of the things that we've talked about over the course of this series. And by that I mean that there's... When, when you talk about stuff that has fallen into the public domain, stuff that is... That that's so old that no one care or or so forgotten that no one for, for cares about it anymore. So hey, you can pick it up and run with it. That's not a that's not a, a huge seller, right? That doesn't really that doesn't sell you on the content necessarily. Now it might. I mean, some stuff is just so good that you you kind of see the the intrinsic value in the thing. But I think that presenting something in that way sometimes does make people question whether it has intrinsic value or not. And strangely, the way that human, modern human brains work, I think, uh, sometimes it, you, you don't see the value in something until you see the price tag. So I, I am largely talking about things with a price tag attached. I'm not necessarily encouraging you to purchase any of these things. I'm simply pointing to them as interesting examples of of ways that things have been adopted from the past because they are in the past. Now, I've, I've mentioned before Modifius Entertainment, and they have a Conan the Barbarian role-playing game, which I've never actually played. I, I think I downloaded their their uh, quick start guide for th- that they published for Free RPG Day, and I've I, I haven't had the chance to to, to actually play it at, at all, so I don't know a whole lot about it. And I haven't read the rule book, so I don't know what kind of additional content they're generating within the Conan universe and so on. Now, I do happen to know that they have an official license from Robert E. Howard's estate or from someone who has adopted Robert E. Howard's likeness and name and is selling quote-unquote official licenses. As far as I can tell, all that actually means is that two people, uh, Jeffrey Shanks and Patrice Lunette, are experts in Robert E. Howard's uh, universe and are offering s- sort of approval, stamps of approval for people or for organizations that stay true, again, sort of quotes around all of this, to to the originals. I, I don't know whether that's that has value or not. I mean, it, it, it sounds less like a license than sort of an association that, that, that sort of gives a, an approval an approving nod to something, and that's fine. That that's to to a Robert E. Howard purist, maybe that matters. To a Conan purist, maybe that matters. I, I don't know how how well anyone can divine how Robert E. Howard would feel about the the expanded universe that of of Conan that that happened after his death. I don't know that anyone can know that. So it's a little bit little bit little bit weird, but. Either way, it is benefiting hugely from the public domain content of Robert E. Howard's body of work, and it's a it's a it's a role playing game. It is something that you can go and purchase and play and benefit from all of the ex- whatever expansion they've done to the universe, they the, to the codification 
of, of playing a game in that world. It's something that exists. But what really made me think to, to pursue this path of, of mental exercise is a digital comic series that I think I've mentioned on a, on a different show at some point, but y- you may not have heard that show by any means, and even if you have, I'm going to mention it again now because I've, I've actually, I've, I've spent a lot more time with these, these volumes than I had at that point. But there's a, uh, co- company out there called Dynamite, and you can go to their website, dynamite.com. That's D-Y-N-A-M-I-T-E, Dynamite Comics. And they apparently, from what I can tell, specialize in, in properties that, the, in external properties. So as far as I know, and, and there could be some exceptions to this, but as far as I can tell, they, they don't have properties of their own. They, they do comics for characters and storylines that don't originate from from Dynamite. So, for instance, they have a comic series called Army of Darkness after the Army of Darkness movie from the Evil Dead series. They've got a, a series for Vampirella and for Elvira and for Battlestar Galactica, Xena, Princess Warrior, Sherlock Holmes. These are names you're going to recognize no matter what division of, of geek culture you're into. And the one that I wanted to mention specifically here that, that makes sense to talk about would be the Deja Thoris series. Now, I got a big, a big dump of Deja, Thora, Thor, Deja Thoris comics from a humble bundle that I purchased. There were about 12 issues, I think, each about 23 pages long. I, I don't tend to go to physical comic book stores. It's just not something that I have built into my routine. And frankly, I don't have a physical comic book store within in an hour's drive of me right now. But the Deja Thoris comic book series has turned out to be really, really enjoyable and really quite fascinating from lots of different angles. I mean, it's no secret, and it doesn't take a literary scholar or a historian to see that the original John Carter novels don't really revel in the female characters being being heroes themselves. They are typically, even when they are very sort of strong characters themselves, they end up in situations where they, they require rescue. And it's kind of to be expected from, from a, a book that was written in 1915, probably. That's probably something that that is realistically something that you would expect to see. And indeed, that's what you see in, in all the John Carter books. Um, the, like, I've, like I said in the final episode, I think Chessmen of Mars probably has the strongest character, and she is Tara, the son of John, uh, the, the daughter of John Carter, and she's probably the strongest female character of, of the whole series, and even she ends up about midway through the book playing very much just kind of second fiddle to the, the suitor who is going to, who, who is pursuing her, who is trying to rescue and also pursue her uh, romantically. So it's, it's a little bit painful if you're a modern reader, whether you're, you know, you could be the most sort of conservative modern reader, and I think it's still kind of, you'd still have to ask, why doesn't this person just do this instead of just sitting around waiting to be rescued? And it's not as bad in Chessmen as it is in in the in uh, the other earlier books, but it, it's still pretty blatant that that these characters just aren't really everything that they could be uh, in the interest of ensuring that the 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 male lead is going to ha- it has a, a goal for for the for the book and 
I'm not saying that I'm not making a judgment call about the books on based on that by any means. I love the books. I'm just saying for a modern modern reader, it it does kind of seem a little bit foreign. In the Deja Thoris comics, it's completely revisionist. It, it takes that it takes that obvious truth about the original content and completes completely turns it on it on its head, and just makes Deja Thoris the main character of of her own story. I will admit that it's a little bit odd to have John Carter in this series at all. I'm not entirely sure why they had John Carter here because it it feels like what would have made a lot more sense in the timeline is to have John Carter back on Earth at this time and make this be the Deja Thoris that we that we get to experience after John Carter has has saved the environment of Mars the he's he's re- rebooted the um, environment machine at the pole and has has been whisked back to earth for what i think he's gone for 10 years or something so or 20 years something like that and and it would just make more sense for deja thoris to be on her own for the comic series i'm I'm, and and the the character of john carter does almost nothing during the whole series which i mean i have no problem with that I, i have no allegiance to john carter i've 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 often felt that he is the weakest character in the John Carter series, uh, or the least interesting character in the John Carter series anyway. But I, I could have seen this series making a lot more sense as Dejah Thoris, maybe Tars Tarkas, and and maybe her son, um, possibly. I mean if he I mean he would still be probably growing up, but for the timeline it would just make more sense. But for whatever reason they they they, they keep John Carter in the story and he just kind of He's kind of an advisor to Deja Thoris, and he just kind of wanders around and says, "Let's kill stuff," and she says, "No, let's not." So it, it's a it's a bizarre sort of. It, it, it seems particularly odd. It seems as odd for him to be in this story as it seems in the original book for Deja Thoris to to stop being an interesting character once they meet. But that aside, the the series is really is is quite good. I mean, it's not it's not the best comics I've ever read. There there are some storytelling techniques that they that they endeavor to use that I I still don't quite understand what they were going for. The the very first scene, I think, in the very first issue uh has I think it's using flashbacks or something and I I was never super clear about when we were flashing back to or flashing forward to. It was very very confusing. That said, the story is fine. It's about the uneasy peace between the Green and the Red Martians. It's 12 issues, 23 pages long, and it's it's really enjoyable. And it's a great example of how of how these uh, of how a rich and detailed and exciting world like Barsoom, as written down by Edgar Rice Burroughs way back in 1915, can be adopted and developed further for a modern reader. I mean, this series very much, and I, I once again apologize for drawing so many parallels from between Barsoom and Tatooine, but I, I kind of have to. But this series makes Deja Thoris into kind of the Princess Leia from Jabba, from Jabba's palace. It, it, it makes, in every sense of what Princess Leia was during that time, it, it kind of, it, it 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 adopts that and puts it into Deja Thoris, and it, now arguably there are lots of parallels existing already. So I, I feel like this is modern comics borrowing from something that borrowed from the source of the comic itself. 
that said, if you're looking for that kind of that style of swashbuckling sci-fi adventure in a clothing optional setting, then this comic series is exactly what you're looking for. Now, there's a, a whole other series about Deja Thoris. That, so the the one that I got from Humble Bundle is is but one entry into into a couple of different stories that they have with her. The series that I'm specifically referring to is called Deja Thoris and the Green Men of Mars. But there there's other there are other books that you can get. There's Deja Thoris, Soldier of Memory. There's Deja Thoris and the White Apes of Mars. A couple of different series, and even an art book, a hardcover book about the about the art of Deja Thoris and and Barsoom. And they delve further into the world. They don't stop with Deja Thoris. They do have they have a Warlords of Mars or Warlord of Mars series that covers Deja Thoris before John Carter arrives on Barsoom. They have a John Carter series, and then they even have a series called I think Worldscape, which happens to incorporate at least Tars Tarkas, if not John Carter as well. So they play around with these properties in, in really, really exciting ways that you probably wouldn't see coming. So it's it's worth checking out, if only to see how how skillfully and how richly existing properties can be adapted for, like I say, a modern audience, or, or just adapted for fun. Because that's really what it boils down to in the end, is that we've got these these rich cultural artifacts that if they're not used, are going to fade away. And I think that's the real potential crime here, is that there are these... all all this work that someone has put into creating a, a universe of fiction, and because of a copyright restriction, no one else can build on it and keep it growing. And that sort of just... that that forces that work into into stasis. And nobody likes that. Nobody wants that. I mean, it's nice to have that artifact... It's nice to have that thing as it was then so that we can look at it and experience it and think, oh, how interesting it is how people used to think that back then or how funny it is that this would have seemed exciting to them at that time or, wow, that's really cool. We should use that and 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 we should be able to draw upon those ideas. And it's really encouraging when you see things like Dynamite Comics or Modiphius when they're reaching into that that rich world of potential and actually using those ideas and bringing them forward and putting new ideas into them it's a lot of fun i think one of the the confusing things about creative commons for a lot of people or public domain for that matter or shared culture at all is the question of canon and how can you have a deja thoris who who is one way in the the book and then is is a completely different character in a comic series or how can you have a a conan who is from the north in this story, but doesn't really act like a barbarian in this later story, or or says that he's from a different land in, in this book later on. Whatever the problem is, we catch them all the time. They exist everywhere, these little breaches of canon. I mean, it's a big business to stay th- to, to manage canon, and, and some people really, really enjoy tracking that and resolving that, and that's part of the enjoyment for some people. For other people, canon can be explained, and this is the camp that I fall into, as the, by the same kind of magical explanation as we provide for the multiverse. Infinite possibilities, infinite versions of the same characters or the same stories, because ultimately, especially in fiction, 
you can layer these things on top of each other, and two different conflicting things can can be stated in two different books. And it doesn't matter because in in science fiction and in fantasy more and more, the idea of timeline being a timeline being singular and linear is just not a thing. To say nothing of how many different versions of the same story we ourselves tell throughout our own lifetime. So there's really a lot more flexibility in, I think, general canon than some people prefer to allow for. And and it can be difficult, because if you exist in one timeline and you're trying to organize a bunch of things from a different timeline and make them all fit into one layer, yeah, that can be difficult. But I, I just kind of feel like, given a little bit of fiction, a little bit of allowance, you can make all of those things sort of live happily together. And such is the case for certainly a lot of these old science fiction properties or all these old or, or fantasy properties that people are iterating on. I mean, Robert E. Howard first published the Conan stories in 1932-ish, and I think in 1955 there was a big collection of the stories that I guess brought them back into public awareness. And then by the 1960s, it was it was completely expected that people would be writing stories in that universe. Paul Anderson, Harry Turtledove, Elle Sprague de Camp, Robert Jordan, a bunch of different authors were writing stuff about Conan in the Conan universe, and it was it was more or less accepted as, I guess, Conan canon. And that's exciting, and that's the reason we still have Conan today. So it's important. We should support the commons. We should support public domain. We should support the concept that fictional ideas are meant to be riffed on. They're meant to be iterated upon. It's a healthy thing to do. It's part of preservation. It's a part of continuing a culture well beyond someone's life or death or when they've stopped creating something because they're bored with it, they're done with it. Those ideas ought to be continued. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your holidays, whether you have time off or whether you're working or whatever you may be doing. Settle down at some point, hunt down the descendants of all of your favorite stories, and see what other people have done with them. I think you'll, I think you'll enjoy it. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Klaatu. You can reach me via email at platu at member.fsf.org. You can also usually catch me in IRC as not Klaatu. I'm on the Freenode Network. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.